Assalamu alaikum. Peace be unto you. Welcome to another edition of the Mississippi on the Move podcast. I am your brother Abdul Shahid Muhammad and my brother Kenneth Muhammad is on location on another assignment as a matter of fact once again and he will probably be joining us if he is able to break free from the current assignment he is on and monitoring. Uh, but let us begin as we should in the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, I bear witness that there is but one God. We refer to him by the proper name, Allah. 
And that is not to the exclusion or dismissal of any other righteous name by which the divine creator is known. We as spiritually mature people know and should understand that God has made himself known according to the language and culture of the prophets that he raised among people. We know and understand that God is known by many names. We thank him for all of his prophets and all of the scriptures that were revealed through them. And we make no distinction between God's prophets. We understand. Let us greet you with the greeting words of peace in the language of all of the prophets. Yes, even Jesus, because Jesus did not speak English. The scholars have documented English wasn't even being spoken when Jesus walked the earth. They bear witness that he spoke Hebrew and Aramaic or Arabic. And in scripture, you find Jesus offering peace to people. He would say, peace be unto you, to his disciples and the people that he taught. Well, if you would say that in Hebrew, you would say, Shalom Aleikum. And if you would say that in Arabic or Aramaic, you would say, Assalamu Aleikum. So that should not be strange. All I'm simply suggesting is people of faith, we need to mature to the point that we don't get blinded by the different expressions and labels that we wear. Once again, we welcome you all as our audience is coming on to the Mississippi on the Move podcast. We have a very important program for you tonight. We're going to be covering and discussing the crisis going on in Jackson, Mississippi, the capital city of Mississippi, uh, where Mayor Chokwe Lumumba and his staff and city officials and residents are navigating the water crisis as a result of the flood and the overtopping of the Pearl River. Uh, once again, I'm your brother, Abdul Shahid Muhammad, and we're going to get started in a minute here. But before we do, we're going to go ahead and break away and get these uh, commercial announcements in on the front end of the program so we can once again get them in on the back end. And we will be right back after these messages. Worldwide, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Download the Final Call radio app and take us everywhere. On your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also log on to FinalCall.com and click the Listen Live button or FinalCallRadio.com. Final Call, Final Call Radio, the official voice of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. What's your source for truth in news reports? No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. Where do you turn for non-corporate driven news that's fair and balanced? No Subscribe to the Final Call News, your number one free and independent news source that delivers hard-hitting national and international news coverage of today's political, economic, and social issues. To subscribe to local home delivery, call us at area code 662-252-8999. That's 662-252-8999. Visit our website at www.finalcall.com. The Urban Indulgence Bath and Body Boutique 
At Urban Indulgence, we pride ourselves on offering quality, effective skin care. Handcrafted with plant-based, skin-loving ingredients, our soaps and body butters will give you luxurious lather and ultimate moisture. Experience the Urban Indulgence at 3314 Poplar Avenue in Memphis, three blocks west of Poplar Plaza, or shop with us online at theurbanindulgence.com. Theurbanindulgence.com. Mississippi on the move. Well, thank you all. Thank you for the round of applause. We're back. Mississippi on the move. So we're going to take off and get this plane uh, in the air, so to speak. We always begin with the guiding principles that undergird our conversation at each episode of the Mississippi on the Move podcast, I refer to them as axioms. We start with those that were given to us by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. The first one we like to highlight is the one where he says, quote, he who gives you the diameter of your knowledge prescribes for you the circumference of your activity. So that suggests that you need to be careful who it is that gives you the diameter of your knowledge. And of course, we know the history of our sojourn here in America. In America, uh, we have always had people that have acted as the thought police for us. They were always interested what we were learning outside of what they were given or had given us. The knowledge that they had prescribed for us is the only plate, if you will, that they wanted us eating for, from. So anybody that came to teach us something other than or anything that they perceived to be outside of what they had prescribed for us, they were always set upon or accosted and vilified. So they didn't want any of us listening to anybody but them. They didn't want anybody giving us anything. They wanted us to seek all of our sustenance and well-being from them. Well, brothers and sisters, the same thing applies today. And I'm suggesting also to us that we need to learn to seek other avenues by which we receive information because the truth of the matter is the fourth estate in America, which is media, is dead. It has been commandeered. It has been taken over and it serves the will of the moneyed people. The second axiom we'd like to use from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan as well is the definition of a slave that he gave, which he says, quote, a slave is one whose power and authority is ruled over by another and whose sphere of freedom is limited according to the wishes of his master. Hmm. That's the companion of axiom number one, because our power and authority certainly has been and continues to be ruled over by somebody else. Because if we just take a look at the subject or the topic for our program tonight, what's happening in the capital city, and once you get the information, and I'm going to be playing an excerpt, of an interview that they uh, had with uh, Jackson Mayor Chokwe Lumumba and a brother who was an activist in that area named Kali Okuna. Uh, and you're going to find it quite interesting. We also like to add the axiom from our brother Carter G. Woodson in his seminal work, the great book, The Miseducation of the Negro. He wrote in that book these words, quote, when you control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. You do not have to tell him to go here or yonder. He will find his proper place and stay in it. You do not need to send him to the back door. He will go without being told. In fact, if there's not a back door, 
he will cut one for his special benefit. His education makes that makes it, excuse me, necessary, end quote. And last but not least, we like to quote Victor Hugo, a quote that Dr. King lifted in his speech in 1967 crisis in America's cities, where he quoted Mr. Hugo, who said, quote, if the soul is left in darkness, sins will be committed. The guilty one is not he who commits the sin, but he who causes the darkness. And if we would look at that in the context of 2022, you can clearly see that the minds of many of us have grown dark. And the scripture teaches that the people walked in darkness. Then it says gross darkness, the people. Many of the minds and hearts of people have been so overcast with the clouds of ignorance and lack of understanding, no discipline and no patience. Well, those clouds and though that darkness that I'm speaking of, it's not just by happenstance. Someone has caused it. Someone is interested in keeping it that way because it works in favor of the agenda they have for the poor, the voiceless, and particularly black people. Okay? So, there you have it, uh, axioms. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. And let me back up. Last week, man, we had a lot going on that we really didn't get an opportunity to, to review. I want to first start with last week's podcast that we were on location live at Shady Grove Presbyterian Church. We were covering a panel discussion on juvenile sentencing in, in Tennessee. And we were covering uh, lifer, the, a juvenile lifer in Tennessee and the person of interest that was being spoken or discussed in uh, particular was a young man by the name of Quentin Sanders who was given uh, a 60-year sentence at age 17 where he had to do a minimum of 51 years. And that is the harshest punishment. And Tennessee has the harshest punishments for juveniles, uh, life sentence juveniles in the country. Uh, It started where under pressure, he and several other juveniles, young people, went to Raleigh Springs Mall here in Memphis, Tennessee, and went into one of the department stores and was supposed to steal some clothing. They attempted and were frightened. Uh, They were uh, caught in the act. They dropped the items and fled out of the store and jumped in a car running from the crime and sadly hit uh, a Memphis police officer killing him in the accident. And which is what it was, is an accident. And the tragedy in all of this was not only the loss, particularly the loss of life. That's the major tragedy uh, when there's a loss of life. But the other tragedy is uh, one that serves most for the most part in the minds of many, just a footnote. But a child, essentially, his life was taken from him, uh, which he should have been held accountable But at what point is the punishment that's rendered and levied is overreach, is over the top, is overly heavy-handed. So a young man and some others that were running, fleeing, with no intent to do anything but get away and escape the trouble, which was a misdemeanor at that point, that they had gotten in. And it wasn't during the commission of a felony, as I understand it. We rewind, but it was during the commission of what was considered at that time actually a misdemeanor. And unfortunately, 
It resulted in an accident where a police officer lost his life. But you give the young man 50, uh, 60 years, and you tell him he has to do a minimum of 51 before he can even be considered for parole. Well, the statistics say that people don't survive in prison for that amount of time. In America, no inmate has lived for 50-plus years in prison. They die before they get to that amount of time. So essentially, the young man was given a death sentence. So the punishment, many believe, and I would concur, was just simply too harsh. And the weekend before that, we thank everyone. If you missed it, you can go online. Our brother and friend, student minister and scholar, Dr. Wesley Muhammad, was in Memphis and North Mississippi, where he dealt with several subjects. In Holly Springs, Mississippi, he dealt with unraveling the mystery, the Malcolm X assassination, and he gave a excellent, uh, what we would call the Rosetta Stone of the Malcolm X assassination, where he came with the receipts, brothers and sisters, the undeniable facts of what happened, and those are things we need to know. So we've gotten there, and we want to thank all of the brothers and sisters, particularly the FOI, that's the Fruit of Islam, of the Nation of Islam in Holly Springs, Memphis, and South Haven, as well as the mighty MGT and Vanguard, uh, in Memphis and South Haven and Holly Springs for their unwavering support and continued labor to make everything that we do successful and to raise the consciousness of our people. So let's get to it. I want to begin tonight's program by looking at some information. Or I want to start with an article that we found on CNN and how the article is spun uh, or, to some degree, politicized or slanted against the mayor of Jackson. So one thing about Mississippi that I learned early on when I first got down there, I met a, a dear brother who is a student minister of one of our study circles, a developing one down in Tupelo, Mississippi. His name is Brother Conway Muhammad. And Brother Conway said these words to me one day. He said, Brother... Jackson might be the capital, but the money is in Tupelo. And I said, hmm. So I said, well, let me see if it's really true. An interesting thing before I can even conclude that it was true, an interesting thing took place during the Trump presidency. When President Trump came to Mississippi, he did not go to the capital city. Interestingly enough, he went to Tupelo. And I went, hmm. So when I visited Tupelo, I had the opportunity for just a little while to kind of tool my way through the city and take, a, take in a couple of sites. I was en route to Atlanta at the time, and I stopped through, and I had a few minutes with my brother, Brother Najee Muhammad, and his father, Brother Mike Muhammad. And I found it interesting that the town of Tupelo is very, very well kept. It's very, very beautiful. And you can clearly see that investment uh, in that town, not divestment, but investment in Tupelo is quite robust. Uh, but when you get to Jackson, which is 80% black, it is not as well beautified, in my humble opinion, uh, at least at the areas that I saw as Mississippi, I mean, uh, Tupelo, excuse me. So I would venture to say that, you know, Brother Conway, he lives there, been there a long time, a man that walked with Alfred Skip Robinson. 
Mississippi knew him better. Probably those uh, back in the 70s knew him as, uh, well, I'm sorry, y'all knew him as Alpha Skip Robinson, but in later years, up into the early and mid-80s, he was known as Abdulaziz Muhammad. But he knows. So when he told me that the money is in Tupelo, I would venture to agree. And I say that to say that in this article that CNN uh, published recently, I think the article came out just about two or three days ago. I find it interesting that Governor Reeves, in his comments and in his commentary when he was declaring uh, a, uh, an, a state of emergency for Jackson, Mississippi, on that Monday evening, uh, Jackson residents, they were dealing with record-setting rain, and it resulted in the Pearl River cresting. Uh, they say at dangerously high levels is what, they, what it reads. But Governor Reeves, I'm sorry, Reeves, Tate Reeves, he announced the city is, listen at his words, the city is failing to produce running water. He says, quote, it means we do not have reliable running water at scale. It means the city cannot produce enough water to fight fires, to reliably flush, right, reliably, excuse me, flush toilets, and to meet other critical needs, Reeves said. As a result, official announced all Jackson Public Schools would shift to virtual learning. They went to virtual learning. The water pressure was an issue on top of uh, already in place boiling water notice. But the caveat to this that we must understand that this problem didn't spring up out of thin air. It didn't come up in a vacuum. In fact, in July, they've been under, well, since July, they've been under a boil water notice. And when we take a closer look at this, we will see uh, why Governor Reeves is talking the way he's talking. His language and the context of his language is essentially my words, y'all, my words, it's Jackson, Mississippi's fault. The city is failing. And so when you say the city is failing to produce drinkable water, what you are essentially saying is the people that's running that town can't do their job. But I want to play begin by playing an excerpt from an interview uh, done with Mayor Chokwe Lumumba, and I will follow it up with an interview that was done with Brother Kali Akuna, Akuno, excuse me, an activist down in that area who puts things in perspective from the black community's perspective and the history behind it. So I'm going to take a few minutes, uh, take a listen at our brother, Mayor Chokwe Lumumba. Jackson, Mississippi, an overwhelmingly black city with more than 180,000 area residents who are facing their third day without running water. Officials say the crisis could last indefinitely. On Tuesday, people waited in long lines for bottled drinking water to fill up at tanker trucks full for water to flush toilets and more. When you don't have no water. You know, especially when you got newborn babies. We are seeing the intentional divestment um, in communities that are led by black elected officials. So this has been an issue for me since I came down here to Tougaloo College in 1991. I was always told not to drink that water. Um, when I came here to Jackson, it was smelling like chlorine. 
On Tuesday night, President Biden authorized the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, to coordinate disaster relief efforts, quote, to lessen or avert the threat of a catastrophe in Hines County. This came after Mississippi's governor declared a state of emergency for Jackson in the neighboring areas. For the past month, Jackson residents already had a boil water advisory due to problems with the city's main water treatment plant, when recent torrential rains caused the Pearl River to overtop its banks, the plant flooded and shut down, cutting off water supplies. Schools have shifted to online classes. Many businesses are closed amidst the ongoing water crisis. For more, we go to Jackson to speak with the mayor. Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba, welcome back to Democracy Now! You are in the midst of a massive crisis. Uh, the imminent cause, uh, the climate crisis causing the flooding that has shut down the sewage treatment plant. But the issue of water in Jackson has been going on for a long time. You have been warning about it. Can you talk about what's happening on the ground right now and what you think is the real long-time cause of this? Well, thank you, Amy, for having me again, and, and happy to uh, be able to lift up this, this circumstance uh, on your show. Uh, this has been something we've been crying out for more than two years, uh, saying that it's not a matter of if our systems will fail, but a matter of when our systems will fail. Uh, I have described Jackson as the poster child of the infrastructure challenges that we see in this country. Uh, and so this is something that, that when the state uh, joined me and shared that they would be bringing in uh, resources, bringing in a team to support us. We welcome that with open arms because we've been saying that we needed the support. We've been saying that we need resources. Uh, and so this is a matter of human rights. Uh, this is a matter of deferred uh, maintenance that has happened over decades, uh, a lack of investment and in capital improvements, uh, and, and quite possibly, quite honestly, probably more than a billion dollars uh, worth of, of challenges that have to go into our, our water distribution system. Uh, and so we were sustaining uh, some level of, of uh, improvement uh, yesterday, uh, but the system, true to its form and true to what we have seen, uh, had a bit of regression last night. And so we're struggling to get tanks back up, struggling to be able to restore water pressure across the city. And so we believe that our residents are worthy of a system which is sustainable, are worthy of a system which is uh, equitable, uh, serving all of the residents and not having a disproportionate effect on the poorest communities in South, in South Jackson. Now, you heard him. I hope you heard him clearly. He's very well spoken, and our brother articulated the issue very, very clear and concisely. As a matter of fact, I have his words in writing. Uh, the Honorable Mayor Chokwe Lumumba said, quote, this has been something we've been crying out for more than two years, saying that it's not a matter of if our systems will fail, but a matter of when our systems will fail. He says, I have described Jackson as the poster child of the infrastructure challenges that we see in this country. Further down, he says, and so this is a matter of human rights. Don't you know clean water is a human right? Anything, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan said, taught, taught us and teaches us and has said to us, 
anything that is a human need is a human right. In the U.S. Constitution, they are described as inalienable rights, meaning rights given to you by God that you can't even give away. You can't give away the right of thirst. <laughs> it's a natural urge. So the human being needs water, clean water, and anything that the human beings need, God created the human being in need, and he sufficed every need that the human being would need, and water is one of them. So therefore, drinkable, clean, drinkable water is a human right. So our brother is right on target. He continues and says, this is a matter of deferred maintenance that has happened over decades. The lack of investment in capital improvements and quite possibly, quite honestly, he says, probably more than a billion dollars worth of challenges that have to go into our water distribution center or system, excuse me. So Brother Chokwe, he's laying it out and that ain't that ain't all of it, y'all. Continue to listen. Continue to listen. And Mayor, I wanted to ask you about the the responsibility of the state government uh, uh, in in this issue, the the state legislature. Uh, Mississippi has long been the nation's poorest state. It's also the state with the highest percentage of African American residents. Uh, could you talk about how the the state has responded in the past to your request, and also the issue of the state constitution not allowing municipalities to tax themselves, uh, uh, have independent taxing authority, and how that affects uh, your ability to uh, uh, remedy the water infrastructure problems? Uh, it is clear that we're heavily reliant on, on the state for, for many of these resources, uh, not only because we don't have the independent ability to tax ourselves. Uh, but because even the federal funding that is sent uh, to or intended for cities like Jackson, uh, the conduit that, that it comes through is the, actually the state of Mississippi. Did y'all get that? In the state constitution, municipalities don't have, according to the constitution, the ability to tax themselves to generate revenue. And he said, not only is it because of that they don't have the funding to address these issues, but any federal funds comes down through the state. He said, that's the conduit. So what the mayor is suggesting through, heck, it may come down through the state. It may be earmarked for Jackson, but Jackson never gets it. I wonder why. Jackson is 80% black. But Tupelo is only about, uh, last I checked, about 30, 30, between 35 and maybe 40% black, but definitely less than 40. So, brothers and sisters, and this is not just germane to Jackson, and what I'm getting at with this broadcast, dear family, is we as black people are going to have to come to grips with some very, very harsh realities that are unwritten and that are skillfully and carefully talked about and spoken with political language and jargon that your layperson and the you know the most of us as black people really don't give good ear or attention to. These people are legislating racism, and that's that's just the fact of the matter. But continue to listen. Uh, and so it's no secret that I have been consistent uh, in lifting up that that all parties that have 
that have ability, uh, that have uh, license or authority uh, to help with this problem need to lean in and, and uh, be a part of the process of, of its correction. Uh, but today, uh, you know, I have to focus on the priority of the coalition that is being built now uh, and have to be optimistic in, in that coalition. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, that there is a time to discuss, you know, why we haven't seen this coalition form sooner, uh, to discuss just how far we're going to go. Uh, but I will say that, that I am at least delighted to see that, that there is discussion about moving together at this point. Uh, I don't believe that, that we should have taken uh, this time to get here, uh, but I am, you know, going to move forward in a spirit of operational unity. Now that was, did y'all notice? I hope you did. Our brother takes the political high ground. He said his focus is essentially on solving the problem. And he said there's a time to have the conversation about why this happened, but that time ain't now. So he's not finger pointing. He's addressing the fact that, hey, we've been asking for this for years. We've been crying out for years, but he doesn't get into specifics. But he does let it be known that, well, my focus is working on the problem and problem and develop a coalition of people of the willing to, that, as he, the language he used was to lean in and help solve this problem. We can talk about why it happened, but right now I got people that can't even take a bath. I got people that can't even flush the toilet. So we got to deal with that issue first. Please continue to listen. Focusing more on our common ends and objectives than our differences at this time. And what is what are your hopes for what the federal government might uh, possibly do to assist the residents of Jackson in this crisis? Well, I hope that they they bring the the full um, arm of their authority, uh, understanding that this is a crisis, this is an emergency, uh, that the events that uh, sparked the, uh, the the pressure being reduced on this occasion were directly associated with the the flood. Uh, that we recently experienced. Uh, but, you know, it's well documented even amongst uh, federal agencies and, and uh, leadership uh, all the way up to the White House uh, that this is a persistent problem. You know, I've had the opportunity to walk with Administrator Regan here in Jackson, looking at the, the multitude of challenges we have with respect to our infrastructure. Uh, on the occasion of his visit, uh, we had low water pressure challenges in South Jackson. We were visiting a school in South Jackson, and the children had to relocate. Uh, I've been with him in, in D.C. and heard him give his stump speech about, you know, the direction of the EPA. Uh, and I've heard him include the city of Jackson in that speech. Uh, and so we're looking for, you know, every available dollar, uh, every available partner. And we're, we're working with a coalition of the willing uh, in order to restore dignity to our residents. Uh, this is part and parcel of a cycle of humiliation that far too often our communities have to suffer from because we aren't given the sustainable development resources for the quality of life that they deserve. I wanted to uh, and, and, go ahead. Uh, I, I just want to ask one other thing to the mayor. What about the President Biden's infrastructure legislation that was passed? Has any of that money been earmarked uh, for Jackson and for its infrastructure needs? That money has has not yet um, ha has not yet landed in Jackson, um, and you know what I had what I can share is my discussions uh, with the czar uh, Mitch Landrieu, uh, along with my discussions 
with uh, Administrator Regan were both consistent in that they had money intended or they had Jackson in mind uh, with the allocation that they expected to go to our state. Uh, and so we just have to make certain that it, it goes from its inception point all the way to, to the final destination, uh, which is right to our water treatment facilities, which is towards, you know, creating a, a sustainable uh, and equitable system for our residents. Mayor Lumumba, you've attributed the water plant breakdown to the recent flooding of the Pearl River. But Republican Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves has said years of poor maintenance wore down the facility's pumps. This is him on Monday. At the end of last week, I was briefed by the uh, state health department on the discovery that Jackson's main water treatment facility has been operating with zero redundancies. The main pumps had recently been damaged severely about the same time as the prolonged boil water notice began, and the facility was now operating on smaller backup pumps. The city government was unable to give them a timeline for when the facility would be back in proper operating condition. That's Republican Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves. You declared an emergency in Jackson on Monday. Uh, he followed on Tuesday. Uh, before we let you go to deal with this catastrophe in the city, what do you see as the long-term plan? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, uh, I just want to be clear that we've been lifting up these challenges uh, since about 2018. Uh, I, I came into office in, in 2017. Uh, and so we've been going to state leadership to speak to these challenges ever since that, that point in time. Uh, this has been a, a, a combination of uh, accumulated challenges over the course of time, more than three decades worth of challenges. Uh, and so uh, I liken it to a vehicle. Uh, if you're changing the oil regularly, if you're uh, if you're rotating the tires, if you're giving its, its tune-up, uh, then it's likely to function better. Uh, but when that has not taken place over the course of such a significant period of time as what has happened in Jackson, then you end up with larger, uh, more, uh, more, you know, more substantial threats to your, to your vehicle and to this system. Uh, and so we've been crying out to the state for the support. Uh, there has been an equity in, in what we've seen in Jackson versus other communities. Uh, and so we've been lifting that up. But at this time, what our focus is, is a, is a focus on a coalition that works together, a coalition that is arm in arm, uh, making sure that we work towards the residents of Jackson and making certain that we can conclude uh, these challenges. We need uh, an, overall, an overhaul of our water treatment facility. Uh, in all actuality, a new water treatment facility would, would be in order, uh, because the water treatment facility we have uh, has never functioned op optimally and has had challenges from the moment that it was created. Uh, and so I think it is imperative uh, that we work towards automizing or automating, I'm sorry, automating uh, portions of the plant, the feed systems, uh, weatherizing of the plant. Not only do we have the challenges, you know, stemming from the flood on this event, uh, two Februarys ago, uh, the, the freezing temperatures of a February storm led to the debilitation of the plant at that time. Uh, we've seen this time and time again. Uh, we have hotter summers, colder winters, uh, and more precipitation uh, annually. And so this is all taking a toll on our infrastructure. And so on the short term, uh, we're looking towards 
you know, the state's resources, uh, you know, in human capital and, and you know, physical uh, capital improvements to the plant. And long term, we're looking towards the combination of fe state and federal funds uh, to make overall adjustments in the plan. We've been investing the money that we've had. We've invested $8 million towards a larger, uh, a, a larger uh, pipe just to service the South Jackson community. We've invested in a structure over our membrane side uh, and, and the weatherization process to make certain that we aren't crippled like we were in February. We've invested in so many improvements in our water treatment plant but we can't go it alone. We don't have a billion dollars worth of resources to make this happen. Fortunately, we have the partnership uh, and the collaboration of agencies like the U.S. Water Alliance and Kellogg that are working in conjunction with the city of Jackson so that we can put forth and prioritize that which has already been outlined by our order of consent with the EPA that identifies numerous challenges within our plants. We know what the challenges are, and that order outlines it. We need the resources to actually fix those challenges at this time. Shokoyantar Lumumba, mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, we thank you for being with us. There you have it, brothers and sisters. Our brother clearly, clearly and concisely outlined the issue and pointed directly to the cause and accumulation of years of neglect. And before I go any further, let me shift gears for just a minute. Our brother has joined us, Brother Kenneth Muhammad. Uh, he had to uh, beam himself in remotely. I think we got him live. Brother Kenneth, you there? Yes, sir, Brother Saheed. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Sounds like you're far away. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you must got a Bluetooth or something like that. Well, no, if, if you had the plug in, kind of, probably. But I think we can navigate with what we got, brother. I can hear you uh, and the audience. If uh, Those in the audience, uh, if you can hear them sufficiently, just type a one in for those that are logged in. A lot of the audience, they don't actually log in. They just uh, go to the uh, app itself and just tune in live without uh, getting an account. But, brother, we can hear you, man. How you doing this evening? conference calls and I was actually trying to get in and but you were going about the uh, work of the podcast <laughs> yes sir detailing so you, you didn't see me so I was listening and you were dead on brother so uh continue uh, as far as the narrative that Mayor Lumumba and brother Kali Akuna uh shining some light and also uh, different conversations we've been having over the last few days with people that are directly involved up there in the city of Jackson. And as you were saying, there's a different tent. Uh, uh, the news coverage has been very slanted against the mayor of the city of Jackson and therefore the people of the city of Jackson. And we gotta ask ourselves the question, why is that? Yes, sir. That's definitely a question we have to ask ourselves. One of our listeners, uh, Brother Keith, just said we can't hear the brother. Brothers and sisters, can you not hear him at all, or is he just low? If he's, if you can hear him, uh, type 1. If you can't hear him at all, type 2. So that way we'll know what we're dealing with. But, brother, I can hear you, so 
if I can hear you, they should be able to uh, listen. Or oh, they're just saying very low. Okay, so brother, just uh, I would say speak as loudly as you can. I know sometimes, I mean, technology can be a challenge, uh, but certainly uh, I can hear you. And uh, uh, another person just said they can hear you. It's just low. So, brother, uh, this issue, man, and, and I went over some of these articles uh, relative to this. They just put out another one today, and they're saying that work has begun to repair the pumps. And the reason this podcast is important, brothers and sisters, is because this Jackson and uh, this kind of crisis that disproportionately ill affect predominantly black cities and towns uh, is not a new thing. It happens all across the country. Your mind, some of you may remember Flint, Michigan. Some of you may remember New Jersey. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, in a few moments, play an excerpt from uh, Brother Akali uh, Akuna, where he was interviewed uh, uh, by Amy Goodman and Mr. Rodriguez, I think his name is. And uh, he points he does or goes through the history of uh, these kinds of uh, mishandling of black people and the disproportionate uh, uh, disasters that ill affect, that Ill affect uh, predominantly black communities. So, and, and uh, uh, the gentleman, he asked Brother uh, Kali a very pointed question, okay? So uh, as we go, Brother Kenneth, man, thank you for getting on, man. I know you got a lot, man. You're juggling a whole lot of balls. It's like you're trying to connect moving dots. So I know what that's like, brother. <laughs> He's trying to organize. And while I'm thinking about it, brothers and sisters, we have a very, very uh, major event coming up in Holly Springs, Mississippi. It's still a couple of months away. It's in November, November 5th, where we'll be uh, celebrating 32 years of service of our student national prison reform minister, student minister Abdullah Muhammad, and he will be landing in Holly Springs, and we intend to have a gala and bring in and inviting in all who would attend uh, to, to celebrate the work that we have been blessed to do in the Nation of Islam in our prison systems, and work is needed. It is it's, uh, almost desperately needed in the state of Mississippi where many of our brothers and sisters uh, are languishing in prison under really intolerable conditions where their human rights are violated on a daily basis. I mean, human rights, you know, and, and, and some people, you know, we're so shallow, man. We say, well, they did the time. They did crime due to time. Where well, it says due to time, not be deprived of the basic human necessities that every human being needs, like clean water and, 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 uh, pest-free living conditions where they don't have, have rats crawling over them while they are asleep uh, and, and bugs and those kinds of things. That's what's happening in prison systems in the state of Mississippi. So, brothers and sisters, we as a people have to accept responsibility at some point to do what we can to uh, uh, rid ourselves of what we suffer, okay? So at this time, I want to go to the interview uh, being done with Brother Kali uh, Akuna by Democracy Now! And uh, listen at the question that the uh, commentator, his name is Juan Gonzalez. I said Rodriguez. His name is actually Juan Gonzalez. 
He asked our brother Kali Akundo a very pointed question, and I would like for you to hear his response. So listen in at this particular interview. And Kali, I wanted to ask you uh, about this infrastructure issue and the racial inequities it, uh, un, un, it reveals across the country. Several years ago, we had the situation in Flint. Uh, subsequent to that, there was the crisis in Newark's public schools uh, with infrastructure, again, mm -hmm. lead pipes in the water. And now we're looking at Jackson. All of these cities are majority black cities. Uh, could, you, could you talk about this situation of the inequities that occur in our system right. when it comes even to infrastructure? Well, number one, it's not by, by happenstance or coincidence. Uh, what we are experiencing now is, is literally just the crumbling of the empire's infrastructure. I think everybody needs to be clear about that. And that this has a long history. I think as the mayor and other commentators have noted, um, if you really want to trace a lot of this back, it goes back to uh, I would argue, to the 1950s and 60s uh, with the so-called urban renewal uh, programs and the massive subsidization of the suburbs, which facilitated white flight uh, out of many of these major cities, Jackson being one of them, uh, and with that uh, went major capital flight. Uh, and that has continued uh, with very chronic programs of divestment and, and uh, deindustrialization in many cases in most of the cities like Jackson, uh, which is just left crumbling in infrastructure. In every city that you you mentioned, Newark, Flint, Detroit, uh, we can go on. Uh, this story, this development, which was facilitated, uh, you know, by programs which were developed on a national level uh, right after World War II, is what brings us to this uh, uh, dimension of the crisis. We also have to talk about, you know, being honest and and, and really linking this to the deeper issue of of climate change. Uh, and the, the threat that is it is clearly now posing all over the world. I mean, uh, just listening to your introduction, we're, we're talking about uh, droughts, you know, uh, in, in East Africa. We're talking about record flooding uh, uh, in Pakistan. Uh, we have severe drought going on in, in uh, Western Europe right now in the Western portion of the United States. We have to look at this. I would encourage, you know, the audience to look at all of these dynamics uh, as a whole, and Jackson is just, just one of these kind of acute areas with this systemic policy around uh, uh, just totally subsidizing the petrochemical industry, you know, for, for decades now, almost a century, but particularly the United States for 50 years, is the other part of what has been driving this particular crisis, creating all of this uh, systemic change. And, and if we look at, you know, what's being proposed on the broader level, on the one hand, you have uh, the federal government pushing for more drilling, pushing for more, you know, kind of false solutions, as we would say, uh, in the climate justice movement, uh, but but have this aggravated uh, uh, infrastructure crisis uh, everywhere, which is not adequately being addressed. Okay, brothers and sisters, you heard him, but I want to back up to something that he said. I just want to uh, back up a little bit to something uh, that our brother mentioned. And let me find it because I have the transcript of what he said in relation to this. He said that if you really want to trace a lot of this back, it goes back to, I would argue, he says, to the 50s and 60s when the so-called urban renewal programs and the massive 
subsidization of the suburbs, which facilitated white flight out of many of these major cities, Jackson being one of them. In other words, Jackson wasn't always predominantly black, but at the, with the advent of these programs he's referencing, he said it facilitated white flight. Then he said, and with that went major capital flight. And that has continued with very chronic programs of divestment and deindustrialization in many cases in most of the cities like Jackson. Now, I can remember as a, 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 a teenager, preteen actually, and in my early teens, we grew up in the area I grew up in in Memphis. I lived in the neighborhood. First, I grew up in the projects. I was in Chazita Gardens. My parents were fortunate to get out. But even in the projects, you know, our parents had livable wage jobs. We were able to take care of it. That was full. I wasn't, you know, without food. I had clothing. You know, we, we, were, we were poor, but we weren't the kind of poor where you were desperate, okay? But during that time in Memphis, you had Hunter Fan. You had uh, Plow. Uh, you had uh, Firestone, and many of my friends, their fathers had the blue-collar jobs that uh, were a very livable wage, and they lived in a house where we lived in an apartment. And their fathers graduated from high school or had some college and had a livable wage. But those jobs and those big companies kind of like disappeared over time, and no one really gave any thought as to where they go. And it's interesting that he mentions this because when he talks about divestment and deindustrialization in many cases, when white flight leaves, not only do they leave, oftentimes they take the tax base with it. And a city official I talked with in Jackson, he said these words to me. He said, brother, what most people don't realize is water. Water is the number one revenue generator in any city, he says. Water. Y'all know Memphis. We call it Memphis light gas and robbery. So I can understand where you're coming from. Let me check on my brother Kenneth because, see, I can't see him and, and uh, take a prompt when he has something to say. So I have to uh, uh, ask. Brother Kenneth, you there, brother? What are your thoughts on what you've heard thus far? sir. And I hope y'all heard what he said. He said purposeful, meaning this is intentional neglect. And I'm going to, in a few minutes, go to an article about Flint, Michigan. You may not 
remember it, or most people should remember the water crisis of Flint, where for years they ignored the, 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 how black people were being disaffected in their health with lead being in the water. And they knew this. And the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan always has warned us of these kinds of things, brothers and sisters. But most of us, uh, and particularly black leadership, is asleep at the wheel. But Brother Chokwe Lumumba is wide awake at the wheel. The thing of it is, and the stark difference that I'm noticing between how he's being interviewed on this program called Democracy Now!, he's not being given that kind of uh, unfiltered commentary on the issue of flooding in Jackson on your major news networks. I've noticed a stark difference in how, because uh, one thing I've learned about media, what they do, how they treated the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in the, in the 90s in particular, they will interview the minister for hours and they would truncate it down to 10, 15 minutes tops and they would cherry pick what he says and, and, and splice it together whereby they can always, to some degree, be the winner. But the minister would always beat them, even after they have spliced and cut three-hour interviews down to just a few minutes. And that's the kind of thing that they do with their news networks. And this is why, dear family, it is absolutely imperative, man, that we seek other avenues by which we receive information. This is why you see our brothers clad in their suit and bow ties. I'm one of them at the intersection of cities throughout this country trying to offer our people the Final Call newspaper. And oftentimes, many of us misperceive that as someone trying to proselytize religion on you. Nothing could be further from the truth. Just like any other news medium or periodical, that's what the Final Call is. It's our news from a black perspective. And I would ask people in Memphis all the time that would reject the paper. I would ask them, do you read the commercial appeal? Well, yeah, that's really the only paper I read. I read the commercial appeal. Well, if they knew the history of the commercial appeal and who founded it, a man by the name of Mr. Albert Pike, who was a Klansman, I wonder would they continue to read it? You know what? We probably will because we would say that was then and this is now. So, and we know news is always slanted in the favor of he, in America at least, they always slant the news in their favor even when they have to lie about it. That's a fact, brothers and sisters. So I say that to hopefully get us to see the necessity of seeking other avenues by which we receive information. Also, uh, those who are listening, our lines are open. I'm sorry, I should have informed you a little while earlier that our lines are open tonight. If you want to call in and you heard something or got him just something you want to share about your experience, those of us, uh, down brothers and sisters down in Mississippi, you can call us at 901-877-4478, and you can get in live on the Mississippi on the Move podcast uh, and, and give your thoughts on this water crisis. But in the interim, I've uh, given that number out. I want to go to uh, the Flint water crisis, and I want to go to just kind of give a, um, a, a short history of what happened, uh, I should say a Flint water crisis summary. 
And uh, this is out of uh, an article that was written uh, in 2018, talking about uh, the Flint water crisis. The author is a woman by the name of uh, Melissa Dinchak. I'm sure D-E-N-C-H-A-K, Dinchak. I'm saying, thinking that's how that is pronounced. I hope I didn't tear the lady's name up. But listen to what she writes. She writes, the story of environmental injustice and bad decision-making. The water crisis in Flint, Michigan, began in 2014 when the city switched its drinking water supply from Detroit's system to the Flint River in a cost-saving move. Keep that in mind. A cost-saving move. Inadequate treatment and testing of the water resulted in a series of major water quality and health issues for Flint residents, issues that were chronically ignored, overlooked, and discounted by government officials, even as complaints mounted that foul-smelling, discolored, and off-tasting water piped into Flint homes for 18 months was causing skin rashes hair loss, and itchy skin. The Michigan Civil Rights Commission and state, I'm sorry, the Michigan Rights Commission, a state-established body, concluded that the poor governmental response to the Flint crisis was a result of, quote, systemic racism. Later studies would reveal that the contaminated water was also contributing to a doubling and in some cases, tripling of the, of the incidence of elevated blood lead levels in the city's children, children, imperiling the health of its youngest generation. It was ultimately the, uh, determ- uh, the determined, relentless efforts of the Flint community with the support of doctors, scientists, journalists, and citizen activists that shined a light on the city's severe mismanagement of its drinking water and forced a reckoning over how such a scandal could have been allowed to happen. Mississippi, Jackson. Y'all excuse my excitement. But brothers and sisters, they're coming in and taking over and they're going to serve us our water now. Our brothers and sisters down in Jackson, Mississippi, 80% black city. And some of the counties that are adjacent to the county that Jackson rests in, they don't have the problems that Jackson is having. They're predominantly white communities that are not suffering the issue of the 80% black city of Jackson, over 180,000 residents is dealing with. So are we about to see a replay of what we saw in Flint where black people in Jackson begin to face health challenges from what is perceived to be aid and assistance coming to us? Look, we have a right to be leery. You know, for those that are out there saying that, well, you're just being negative. No, I'm not being negative. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught us well. He said, History is best qualified to reward our research. And the history of black people and their treatment of us when it comes to the distribution of resources, 
when it comes to being given fair and equal access to all things from employment to food to water to job, I mean, you name it, we have always been disproportionately affected. And it has never been just the way the cookie crumbled. It was always orchestrated. And we find out years later, all the way from Tuskegee to the polio vaccine, they came in under the guise of helping, only to find out generations later, we were being experimented on. And are we naive enough to think that they're not doing it in 2022? Hmm. Just something to think about, brothers and sisters. Uh, we have our brothers and sisters on all over Mississippi. I hope we're getting people that's giving us a little commentary via uh, their, what they're saying. And I want to get our brother William. Brother William said these words. He said, I think that it's very important. This is Brother William. He's down in West Point, uh, Mississippi. He's, he's doing work down there in the community and trying to get our people involved in improving life outcomes there. Brother William says, I think that it's very important that the public knows what's actually going on with the water situation in Jackson. Has anyone checked the water situation concerning the white communities surrounding Jackson? Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, God willing, we're going to have next week someone that has intimate knowledge of what's happening in Jackson, somebody that's on the ground and sees it at eye level. He is the student minister of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in the city of Jackson, and he works in the city, lives in the city of Jackson. Everybody knows him. And he calls Mississippi, not just Mississippi, he calls it the great state of Mississippi. And it's our brother and friend, student minister, Abram Muhammad. I'm hopeful that our brother's schedule will allow him to be with us next week uh, for Mississippi on the move because we're going to stay on this, this water thing because what happened to Flint, the only way and the only reason that it was brought to light was because the people in the community stayed on it. And one of the uh, elements that helped shed light on their misdeeds was our own independent media, us telling our own story and controlling the narrative. That is the purpose of this podcast, dear family. This is not grandstanding or like-seeking on Facebook. No. Black folks, we need to know what's happening in 2022. Because this COVID vaccine and all of the things that are going on, they are disproportionately ill-affecting black people as they always have, but it's even more pronounced in 2022. Our brother Kenneth is still on, but he's just listening. And I understand, brother Kenneth, it's kind of frustrating, man, when you, you know, your technology is not working. And I miss his commentary because brother always has very insightful uh, commentary on issues like this. And I pray to Allah that He's able to be with us next week because we're going to continue uh, this discussion for sure. But Brother William continues. He says there needs to be a media outlet that gives the full details from Brother Lumumba. Brother William, you're listening to one of them at least. And everything that I can find that our brother is saying that is unfiltered and unedited, I will be doing my dead level breast best to bring it to you. As a matter of fact, the city official I talked with in Jackson, I asked, 
could they have Mayor Chokwe Lumumba to come on this podcast? And they and they actually told me, they didn't give me no promises. They said, I think he would be willing to come on, brother, and I'm going to ask him. So don't be surprised, uh, Mississippi, on the move, that if uh, our brother does not or decides to grace our humble little podcast for the purpose of hearing it straight from him, unfiltered, because the major news networks, I know they got all the money, you know, but we just got, you know, they got the big, you know, uh, cruise ships, you know, the big, big boats that float, you know, their uh, institutions of media, where we just got a little dinghy, a little rubber boat, but just because it's a little dinghy and a little rubber boat and it gets probably tossed around in the wake of the big boats that go by, that don't mean we're not telling the truth here. So brothers and sisters, and I see, uh, well, no, I thought Brother Kenneth had unmuted himself. When he unmutes, I, I take that as a sign our brother has something to say, but he still got himself muted. But brothers and sisters, suffice it to say, don't be surprised uh, if our brother does decide to accept an invitation to come on to Mississippi on the move. And you can rest assured I will be letting us know because, family, this is a serious issue. And we need to take it for what it is because what we saw in Flint, Michigan, resulted in the loss of life and health and well-being of many, many, many of our people. And as I stated earlier, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has consistently consistently warned us and the flooding that we see in Jackson reminds me of what happened back in 1993 when Mississippi uh, had uh, 49 or nearly 50 unexplained deaths of black people and some were poor white while in police custody but it was mostly us and one of those persons was the son of one of our student ministers down there brother minister Quinn and uh, his son was killed while in police custody. And the Honorable Louis Farrakhan called for God's chastisement on Mississippi. And you should go and look at the history of that. In fact, the lecture he did that night was entitled The Wrath of Allah. And what resulted after his uh, lecture there and him asking, he literally asked the preachers, you pray to your God that he saved Mississippi. And I'm going to pray to mine that God chastises Mississippi and before uh, people could get out of the city going to their places where they live I mean water began to come down and that resulted in the flood of 93 1993 that is that was all the way down the Mississippi into the Gulf so the water that you see now the Honorable Louis Farrakhan has warned is a sign of Allah's anger God's anger at Mississippi specifically for her mistreatment and evil treatment and continued evil treatment of black people. Now, some people may say, oh, come on, man. Well, ho, if you believe in the Bible, the prophets of God have always warned of the calamity of weather coming from God because of errant behavior. But you take it or you let it alone. Brothers and sisters, once again, this is Mississippi on the move. I am your brother, Brother Abdul Shaheed Muhammad. We are 11 minutes after 8 p.m. We got about right at 19 minutes left, like that number 19. So this time we're going to take another break and we're going to bring you these commercial messages. Worldwide, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Download the Final Call Radio app and take us everywhere. On your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, 
on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also log on to FinalCall.com and click the Listen Live button. Or FinalCallRadio.com. Final Call, Final Call Radio. The official voice of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. What's your source for truth in news reports? No justice! No peace! No justice! No peace! Where do you turn for non-corporate-driven news that's fair and balanced? Subscribe to The Final Call News, your number one free and independent news source that delivers hard-hitting national and international news coverage of today's political, economic, and social issues. To subscribe to local home delivery, call us at area code 662-252-8999. That's 662-252-8999. Visit our website at www.finalcall.com. The Urban Indulgence Bath and Body Boutique. At Urban Indulgence, we pride ourselves on offering quality, effective skin care. Handcrafted with plant-based, skin-loving ingredients, our soaps and body butters will give you luxurious lather and ultimate moisture. Experience the Urban Indulgence at 3314 Poplar Avenue in Memphis, three blocks west of Poplar Plaza, or shop with us online at theurbanindulgence.com. Theurbanindulgence.com. Mississippi on the move. And once again, we are back here live at the Mississippi on the move podcast in the waning moments of tonight's program. We're discussing a very, very serious and important uh, development in Jackson, Mississippi, where a predominantly black city, once again, uh, is being ill-affected because of a crumbling infrastructure, a weather event that should not have, probably should not, and probably would not have resulted in uh, the failure of the water system, but it did. And it's interesting to me, dear family, that it's, it's interesting that when we don't take responsibility for what's happening in our community, God has a way of bringing attention to certain issues when we fail to address them. So in this instance, it looks like to me he sent enough water so somebody can look that way while at the same time spanking our behind because we simply have not responded properly to good guidance. And if we can't say amen, just say ouch. But let's keep it 100 for a few minutes. We have had many voices among us as black people that has given us good guidance. But we have not responded well. We simply have not. And we are singing the same song in 2022 that we were singing during the Civil Rights Movement. We want jobs. We want justice. When we are in a position now in this modern age to give jobs and justice to ourselves, if a critical mass of us would unite and be committed enough and consistent enough and have the endurance enough to stay the course until we accomplish the goal of operational unity and improving the life outcomes of black people in the various cities and towns where we live. But we practice such a, an acute form of rugged individualism, it keeps us 
from uh, uniting in a way uh, that it will benefit the whole. That's just the truth. Let me send a few shout outs before we get out of here tonight. I want to thank those that are on. My dear sister, Audrey, she's always on. Sister Audrey, thank you, dear sister, for being on. My brother, William, who's given some commentary to us tonight. Thank you, sir. We have the new man maker, the young man shaper is what I call him. Our brother, Jeffrey Ryan Futrell with Young Man University. Thank you, brother Futrell, for seeing uh, fit to take interest in our young boys and give them an entrepreneurial mindset early in life. So by the time they reach our age, brother, they will be well seasoned and their minds will be immersed in the kind of mentality that they would need to lead and prosper and be prosperous and beneficial to the whole of our community. So I certainly had to highlight you, my brother. Brother Keith is on, and my sister Coretta and my queen Shahida, she's certainly on, and many, many others. And our brother Kenneth is sitting in the cut. So whenever he wants to have something to say, all he has to do is come off mute because I'm constantly watching uh, his microphone here. But brothers and sisters, as we begin to wind down, let me return uh, to this article from Flint, Michigan, because we really need to uh, take a look at this in the context, uh, look at this as a backdrop to what we see happening now in the state of Mississippi. Mississippi is the poorest state in the country. Okay. The water problem in Mississippi has been going on for well over 30 years. I was told by that same city official. He told me, he said, brother, the newest, listen at me carefully what he said. He said the newest part of Jackson's water treatment facility is 43 years old. And some parts of it is over 100 years old. And they have not upgraded or maintenanced it as our mayor, Brother Chokwe Lumumba, gave the analogy of a car. If you don't change the oil, if you don't rotate the tires, if you don't do the regular preventive maintenance, then you won't get the performance out of the car. I mean, you can have an old car. See old cars on the road all the time. Depending upon who owns it and the degree to which they maintenance it, you know, determines how well the car continues to run. So although it is old, and it is very old, it has not been maintenanced. So let me get to this, um, some more of the summary of what happened in Flint, Michigan. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. The article continues, it says, long before the recent crisis garnered national headlines, listen at that, long before it garnered national headlines, the city of Flint was eminently, or, yeah, hold on, yes, eminently familiar with water woes. For more than a century, the Flint River, which flows through the heart of town, has served as an unofficial waste disposal site for treated and untreated refuse from many or from the many local industries that have sprouted long along its shores from carriage and car industries that have sprouted uh, I'm sorry from carriage and car factories excuse me to meat packing plants and lumber and paper mills in other words that river served as the dumping site for the waste of these industries, okay? The waterway has also received raw sewage from the city's waste treatment plant, agricultural and urban runoff, and toxins 
from leaching or yeah, leaching landfills. Not surprisingly, the Flint River is rumored to have caught fire twice. As the industries along the river's shores evolved, so too did the city's economy. In the mid-20th century, Flint, the birthplace of General Motors, the heartbeat of America, y'all, was the flourishing home of nearly 200,000 people, many employed by the booming automobile industry. But the 1980s put the brakes on that period of prosperity as rising oil prices and auto imports resulted in stuttered auto plants and laid off workers. Yeah, they say that was it, but it was a bit more than that. I ain't going to get into it. Many of whom eventually relocated. The city found itself in a precipitous decline. Flint's population has since plummeted to just 100,000 people. I wonder who left. Remember the white flight we talked about? A majority of whom are African-American. Of that 100,000 left, a majority of whom are African-American. About 45% of its residents live below the poverty line. Nearly one in six of the city's homes has been abandoned. This was the lay of the land in 2011 when Flint cash-strapped and shouldering a $25 million deficit fell under state control. There we go. The state controlling it. Sound like Mississippi, y'all? You doggone rowdy sounds like Mississippi. Michigan Governor Rick Snyder appointed an emergency manager, basically an unelected official chosen to set local policy to oversee and cut city costs. This precipitated the tragic decision in 2013 to end the city's five-decade practice of piping treated water for its residents from Detroit in favor of a cheaper alternative, temporarily pumping water from the Flint River until a new water pipeline from Lake Huron was built. So people, good God Almighty, I don't know about you all, I hope you all heard that. Pumping water from a river that actually served as a waste dump for industry. It was a cheaper alternative, but it turned out to be death, sickness, and suffering for the predominantly black Flint, Michigan. Fast forward, that was 2014 when it started or when it hit national headlines. Fast forward to 2022, Jackson, Mississippi. What are we looking at, dear brothers and sisters? But more importantly, what are we going to do about it? Will we continue to invest in them by giving them our dollar while they at the same time divest in our cities and towns where we populate are the predominance of the population? Look at our thinking now. They admit. They openly divest. They don't give resources, which most of which are human rights. The human right of drinking water is not even afforded to us. Yet we still can see fit to take our hard-earned dollars and give them to businesses and institutions and whatnot that support the same people that legislate death to us. That's just really something 
I don't know about anybody else. That's just really something to think about in my mind. And at some point, who's going to address it? If not us, who? If not now, when? Will we bequeath the same inaction, disorganization, and lack of will to stand up and do something about our problems? Will we bequeath all of this to the next generation, to the next set of people that are children right now, will grow up to have to face a job that we could do, but because of the lack of will and the lack of, as black men in particular, as the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan would say, testicular fortitude to do something about it, the lack of focus, the lack of discipline, the lack of stick the overinflated egos that we can't put to the side for the sake of unity and for the sake of our children to do something about this. I'm afraid. I don't know about you all. I'm afraid for Jackson, Mississippi. I'm afraid for our brothers and sisters there. And I'm praying to Almighty God Allah that somebody will emerge from the obscurity of the teeming masses of black folk that live down there that will stand up and make an effort to do something about it. If you're willing to do that, you can rest assured. Mississippi On The Move podcast is sitting willing, ready, and able to allow this platform to be afforded to those who are serious-minded brothers and sisters that are willing to do something about this crisis that is continually unfolding in Jackson, Mississippi. And the fact about it, brothers and sisters, if we shine light on those who don't have the best interest, those who are surreptitiously planning evil for our people down there, if we keep the attention on this issue, and it makes them difficult because the accompaniment of criminal activity is the cover of darkness or the diverting of the attention of the onlookers. So, brothers and sisters, we are 26 minutes after the hour of 8 p.m. Got four minutes left in tonight's broadcast. Uh, if you want to get in, we still got a little time left. Uh, like I said, four minutes left. If you want to get a quick call in, you can call 901-877-4478. 877-901-877-4478 to give a few words of commentary. You got about two minutes to do so, uh, and we'll certainly stand by. And then we want to again thank everyone uh, for taking time out of their busy schedule to tune in to the Mississippi on the Move podcast. I think this particular episode, brothers and sisters, was a very important one. But as we get ready to leave, and if there are no calls coming in, we certainly don't want uh, the issue of our brother Emmett Till to get lost in the shuffle. Because remember, Mississippi again had a warrant for the arrest of Miss Dunham, Bryant Dunham, Carol Bryant Dunham, that is. But they chose not to arrest her, but they saw fit to arrest a 80-something-year-old blind man named Bill Cosby. He, he didn't kill nobody. And this is not to diminish what they say he did, but it just shows you the level of injustice that still exists in 2022. Brothers and sisters, the ghost of Emmett Till. You use your religion as an excuse not to stand up and fight your natural enemy. And the only people on this earth, the only people on this earth, Brother Alton, the only, only people on this earth that use their religion and their so-called belief in God as an excuse 
segment from our brother Hashim Hakim, the ghost of Emmett Till. That's going to do it for tonight's podcast. We certainly thank you for tuning in. We hope and pray that something was said to benefit us in our spiritual growth and development and to serve as guidance and a good information source for what's happening around us on a daily basis. So as your brother Abdul Shahid Muhammad and signing off for our brother who was in just had a little uh, audio uh, problem, but God willing, our brother will be with us live next week, and he won't have another assignment. We know his plate is full, but we thank Allah for him. But until next week, God willing, we leave you as we came before you with the greeting words of peace of assalamu alaikum. <laughs>
Mississippi on the 